Dale's Petcast. They provide unconditional love, unlimited companionship, and unquestionable support. We're talking about your pets. Useful information for you to better care for and understand your pet. This is Steve Dale's Petcast, brought to you by MerrickPetCare.com. Thank you for joining us. Another Petcast. I'm Steve Dale. And my special guest today is the president and CEO of Austin and American Pets Alive, Dr. Ellen Jefferson, who has a better memory than I do. You remember we met at a conference that you and I both spoke at in Wisconsin, right? Yes, the Federation of Humane Society. And you even remember the conference? Oh, you put me to shame, <laughs> you know. I, so, so the pandemic has been horrible. I mean, really, it's a tragedy not only in America but around the world, with yep. one, with at least one exception. I think there are lots of exceptions having to do with technology, uh, but one of those exceptions is at the very beginning of this, animal shelters didn't know even if employees could come in and feed the animals, let alone take the dogs out for walks and scoop the litter boxes for the cats. No That's one, right. kn- yeah, no one knew. So the shelters all over the country. I suspect, including your own, said, help! And boy, oh boy, people have, and they've continued to do so. Adoptions in 2020 hit for many places in the country, a record number. Shelters were cleared. It was incredible. Was that your experience as well? Yes, absolutely. It was um, unbelievable, honestly, and really exciting. Hopefully bodes well for the future. You know, I the think numbers were unprecedented. Yeah. And, and I think it was more than people being altruistic because the shelters did say community, no matter what community it was, help us. We need your help. But I think it was more than that. I think maybe and I'm curious about what you think, but I think that maybe there was something there is something hardwired in us. We felt so uncomfortable. We didn't know what was going to happen next. We wanted some comfort, and dogs and cats provide that comfort. I may not be explaining it very well, but do you think it was more than just people responding because it was a nice thing to do? I think so. I think I think it's both reasons, right? At the beginning of the pandemic, nobody knew what was going to happen. We didn't know if this was going to be a few weeks or a year or more. And, um, and so I think that people really did respond out of the goodness of their heart to try to help. Because uh, sadly, in a lot of shelters, you know, if they were in especially the government funded shelters, if they were actually shut down, um, and many of them were where staff was not allowed to even come in. The way most of those shelters operate is that if that kind of catastrophic event happens, then they're forced to euthanize um, the animals because they don't they can't care for them. Obviously, you don't want them to starve to death. So what happened with the public coming forward is they were truly saving lives. Um, and and I think that that really resonated with a lot of people that were, like you said, feeling uncertain about the future. And right when the pandemic ha- happened, knowing that this was a big national disaster and um, wanting to do something good when all this badness was happening. Yeah. So yeah, I think I think that really altruism is part of it. Absolutely. Yeah, I, but but as I I think so, but I think it was more than that too, and I'm not sure exactly what I'm after here. 
But I, but I well, think we needed yeah. something in our lives that dogs and cats bring. I think so. So maybe at the beginning, there's the comfort piece of it when you don't know what's about to happen. But and I and I do think the altruism um, was the first flash. Anytime there's a disaster, there's always support that comes out of the woodwork. But this is such a long disaster that I don't think that that has what has sustained it over time. And I do think at some point it's shifted to, okay, we're going to be at home for the long haul. And so the the subsequent pickups for foster and adoption were probably related to that realization that, wow, I finally have time to train a new dog or, um, you know, help a cat get acclimated to my house. So I, I think that, yes, I think it's shifted over time. And we've seen a, a sharp decrease in the number of fosters over time um, since the beginning, that big surge that happened maybe March through June of last year. And um, and so it, it's trailed off a little bit, but it's still much higher than it has been in previous years. So very exciting. And during that surge, you mentioned among the people that went to a shelter to adopt, is now President Joe Biden and Dr. Jill Biden adopting a dog they named Major, a German Shepherd dog. And they brought the dog home and everything, according to reports. I've never been to the Biden home. I don't know. But they say everything was fine with this dog. And then transitioning to the White House, maybe a little more rocky as the dog feels a little less settled. Do you have any advice Someone adopts a dog, or for that matter, a cat, about bringing that animal home into their home, whether it be the White House or just an apartment somewhere. Yeah, I think that, you know, the the transition time that a pet needs, no matter where they come from, um, but they do need, they need help acclimating. And it's not going to be uh, a the type of acquisition that you can just throw into your home and expect them to be 100% um, comfortable right on day one. There's, there are the exceptions to that rule. There are going to be animals that are fine. They'll do whatever. But the vast majority do need an acclimation period, and they need some set routine, just like people. And, um, and so I, I think one of the best things that people can do when they first bring a pet home is just give them time to decompress. If they've been in a stressful situation like a shelter, then coming to a place where they can just sleep and not be really expected to do much is a really good way to start the first week and let them just kind of calm down. We, we do see there's a study recently about the effect of sleepover, foster sleepovers on, right. um, on pets and on their, um, explain, on their, you know. Explain, Dr. Yeah. Jefferson, if you can, what foster sleepovers are for people who may not know. Oh, sure. Uh, so there's this new movement in, within the foster movement. So fostering is bringing a pet home and fostering uh, him or her until they are adopted. That's like the most easily explainable way to explain fostering. But there's variations of that. So there's lots of foster homes that can only take a pet for a couple weeks. And that is still very helpful for most pets. Um, sometimes the shelters won't allow it because it's a lot of paperwork to do the transactions in and out of the shelter. But it is, and they are typically understaffed. But um, but it is, so there's that. And then there's sleepovers, which is just one night. So especially for animals that have been there for a long period of time, getting out of the shelter, even for one night, is incredibly helpful. And there was a study done to try to gauge that and try to understand um, the effect that has on the body, and they did actually see that it, it made a big it, it made a big impact if they could just go to a home and sleep 
and just recuperate from the you know the kind of constant stress of a shelter. Yeah, you know, and so even that. I mean, you run a shelter. You you run a shelter, Doctor Jefferson. So I assume you're not suggesting shelters are bad places. But other studies have been done, for example, to indicate that. Dogs in a shelter for a long time will even suffer hearing loss at times because some are so darn loud. That's why some shelters now, and it's a great idea, play calming music. And it does have some effect on those dogs and cats. It is a Mm -hmm. tough place to be. Even for the best of the shelters, it isn't like a home, is it? No, not at all. And, and you know, I, I don't definitely don't want to cast a negative light on shelters because they, they run the gamut from just a concrete cell with no bedding to a, you know, place where they can have their own room and have beds and furniture and, you know, the works. And so um, there's, there's no way to say what all shelters are like. But what we found is that animals, um, they, they really do, a lot of animals, not all of them, but a lot of animals really do thrive on the support of the human and want to be near them and have that social interaction. And, and so being in an environment where that, that is absent, no matter what their environment looks like, is an important thing for us to remember as we're trying to move animals quickly into fosters and to adopter homes. Um, but also in, in the shelters that are more on the, the side of the spectrum of being more bare bones, they, there is a lot of stress associated with the dogs and cats. And um, I think shelters do an, an amazing job trying to mitigate that, but there's no way to take it away completely because it is, um, you know, it's kind of, uh, I, don't, I don't know the best analogy, but it's just a lot of a- unknown animals in one space and a lot of opinions those animals have and they're, they're barking them out and um, everybody's just having to be the recipient of that information around them and maybe not being able to get sleep, like you said. And some of, so, that, um, some of that information comes in the form of pheromones, which we do not smell. Technically, dogs don't smell it either. They sense it with something called the yeah. Jacobson's organ, which which can't, which is a whole different discussion. The point is, they know stuff about what's going on and what the feeling, yes, feeling, emotions of those other animals are, and the dogs can sense what those other dogs are feeling. Same for the cats. They can sense what other cats are feeling as well. You know, you said something earlier that is kind of a secret sauce that I want to touch on, and that is to bond with that person who has adopted, or for that matter, it might be fostering that dog or cat. I want to talk about that, but first, for over 30 years, Merrick Pet Care has held true to their original vision, creating high-quality recipes for pets. It sounds so simple, but you know what? It's not always. Crafted and tested, offering Wholesome meals for pets with industry-leading levels of proteins, vitamins, minerals, and healthy fats. Each recipe has real deboned meat, poultry, or fish as the number one ingredient, plus fresh vegetables and fruits from farmers, only farmers they know and trust. Merrick Pet Foods for your dog or your cat. MerrickPetCare.com and find Merrick Pet Foods in your favorite pet supply store, or, like everything else in the world, it seems, online. Thank you for joining us in this PetCast, talking to President and CEO of Austin and American Pets Alive. That is Dr. Ellen Jefferson. 
Okay, you bring that animal home, you're hoping that you made a good decision. And you're hoping the adoption counselor, and I think part of that is key, the adoption counselor is recommending the right pet for you. But the adoption counselor may know that pet but doesn't know you. You know you, but you, and you know what your family lifestyle is, but you don't know that pet that you've just adopted. How can you help bonding to happen? Dr. Jefferson? Um, the good news is that dogs and uh, cats are sort of hardwired to bond with people. So it's not that hard. Um, I think it gets trickier when the, they come from situations where they, they may have lived most of their life outside or they may have um, not been socialized super well with humans or been with one person their whole life and then separated and now they're, um, you know, maybe a little reluctant to bond with a new human. And one of the things that I think works really well is to let the animal come to you. So a lot of times people want to come, come home and they want to put clothes on the pet and they want to <laughs> snuggle them, pull them up onto the couch and snuggle with them and um, put them in their bed with them. And I would just recommend that the pets do the action part of that. So if they don't want to get in your bed, don't, don't force them. Don't even, don't even really try to coax them. If they want to get in there, they'll get in there. And um, just let them come to you. And that is one of the best ways to start building that, um, that bond and let them sort of start trusting that this human cares for them and is going to not put them in a dangerous situation, which obviously a couch is not going to be a dangerous situation, but the dog or cat doesn't necessarily know that depending on what their background is. And I'm a so fan. Tip number one. I think that's a great tip. And I'm a fan of uh, pheromone products. I mentioned pheromones earlier in the petcast. Uh, but it turns out feel away, which is for cats. Adaptal is for dogs. Does help the pets to feel more comfortable in their own environment. Uh, but there are people that then jump to the next step and say, oh, I need to drug that dog or that cat. So that way that animal will feel more comfortable or what you said, which especially is true, it's true with dogs, but especially with cats, because cats introduce them to a brand new environment and they'll like, now there are exceptions to this for sure. But many cats are like, where am I? This is not my place. Until it becomes comfortable and safe, keyword for cats, for them, they may not warm up to you as quickly as you'd like. So what we tend to do, because you adopted this animal and you want to love the animal, and kids especially, will pull the cat out from under the bed or from a hiding place, and the cat only wants to feel safe, and now the cat feels even less secure. Can you comment on all of that? Yeah, I think that just goes back to giving them time. And, and I think it's important as they're, as they're picking out a pet to ask questions about what the people that have been caring for them observed in the past. And so if you know you have kids that really want to snuggle a cat, then the best thing to do is try to find one where there's a known history of liking that. Um, I think that's a great way to go about it. There's um, so many cats that grow up surrounded by children and love that and attention, and some some don't. But um, but I do think that for the ones that may have a history or may not, and you're trying to take a gamble, 
the um, I do think the pheromones help a lot, and I think giving them that time to acclimate and just having the kids be hands off for two weeks, let them let them just find their way around, sniff when nobody's around, and um, and they'll eventually come out and be much more um, you know open to to snuggling. Now, most people don't have a cat. They have what I think it's two point three cats on average, and most yeah. people who have a dog don't even have a dog. It's one point seven or something dogs, which is great. Except that other dog or that other cat in the home may not have been consulted about you bringing in a new family member. Uh, we could do a whole podcast, and we will at some point, about introducing cats to one another and a separate one about introducing dogs to one another but do you have any quick tips sure i think that it's good to again try to go slow so if you have if you're bringing a new cat in putting them in a room by themselves so that the cats can smell each other under the door for a while is a great way for them to get used to each other's scents and the presence and then eventually you can, you know, over the course of a week or two, which is an actually an excellent time to um, watch for illness while you're waiting um, to make sure it doesn't get spread to your house cats. The, um, and then eventually opening the door and letting them interact. That's a great way for cats. For dogs, um, I, you know, I find that the dogs are a little harder to keep separated, but they, um, we see... We see a lot of times for, I would say, the majority of dogs that just even introducing them to each other at the shelter or on a walk where they're not meeting each other in the home, they're not meeting each other in the in the yard, they're meeting each other on a walk where two humans are on a journey and they just kind of get used to each other. It's really a phenomenal uh, thing to watch is that they're not that concerned because it's a dog out in the world, but by the end of the walk, they're like, oh, this, this dog is fine. So um, yeah. it's kind of a nice way to do it. Do you have any tips on diet or treats to help manage that transition? Yes, I think it's really important <clears throat> to um, to follow the diet that they've been on, at least for a little while, during that acclimation period. So during the, the month after they've been adopted, keep them on the diet that they were on so that you don't have to worry if the diarrhea is because of stress of the new environment or if they get diarrhea because of food change. And then over time, there's lots of tips online about um, mixing foods and going slowly to get to the type of food that you want. We feed Merrick Pet Care, and we we send our adopters home with a coupon to keep doing that because we really want them to to follow the same regimen and just prevent diarrhea from entering the equation right when they're starting to get used to each other. Yeah, and having one foot in the shelter world, I know how many shelters all around the country say, we want to feed Merrick Pet Care, and many of them do just that. You are a leader in the world of shelters and shelter medicine, Dr. Ellen Jefferson, president and CEO of Austin and American Pets Alive. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. You've been listening to Steve Dale's PetCast, brought to you by MerrickPetCare.com. And as Steve always says, be good to your pet and they'll be good to you.